1: want to say thank you to the Iowa pork producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa pork industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production, and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family-owned. So thank you to the Iowa pork farmer. Thank you to the Iowa pork consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. For one more beer for me. Exile means quality so savagely. basketball season did extend into March by one day, as Iowa was able to beat Illinois in the, I guess, first day of the Big Ten tournament, and took Michigan, who wound up winning the tournament, to overtime in the Big Ten uh, tournament, the second round for Iowa, and gave it all they had. And really, I think, by and large, Steve, the effort that we saw from Iowa in those games was something refreshing I'm not going to sit here and say that's going to you know give everybody a nice warm fuzzy heading into this off season because there's not much to be warm and fuzzy about in a 19 loss season but gosh that was a pretty good effort by a team that you know really didn't have anything to play for other than pride
0: well you got to wonder where that effort was John on both ends anyway the entire season I mean when you are when you're top 25 nationally in offense, I I go back to something, you know, I once asked Iowa State women's basketball coach Bill Fenley who, you know, he's one of the best women's basketball coaches of his era. I once asked him, hey, like, what's your philosophy? His answer, is a real easy game when you can't put the ball in the basket. I mean, you know, defense wins championships, but you know, When you're that elite on offense, you don't really have to be great at the other facets of the game to be one of the 68 teams that gets their name called a week from today. Right. Um, And so you have to wonder, where was the effort? Where was was the urine and vinegar that we saw on both ends of the court in New York City this weekend – Where was that for long stretches of the season? Because when you are an elite team at scoring the basketball, you should be winning two-thirds of your games on just that sort of a number by itself. And then if you want to tell me you're like the old Johnny or Iowa State teams, where you wouldn't win too many games on the road against tough teams, couldn't control the tempo, and you didn't play enough defense, they ran you out of the building, okay, Except almost all those Johnny or teams also played in the NCAA tournament. You know, so I I, I think if if I were an Iowa fan and I watched those last two games, I'd be really pissed off, actually. I, I would really be wondering what in the hell went on here for the last three months. Because we had a lick lighter like record with a Tom Davis era level of skill. And it just doesn't. It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I've watched a ton of college basketball over the last few months. And, I can, I, and I'm can and i not just playing, you know, Homer for the audience here when I say this. The two teams that I found the most perplexing of all the teams I watched this year were Florida and Iowa. Because Florida has a resume unlike any I've ever seen. Where up until they beat Kentucky over the weekend, they couldn't beat anybody good at home and were, like, unbeatable on the road in in away games, including some really big wins. You know, most teams are the inverse of that. And then Iowa, which had an elite-level offense and yet somehow still managed to, you know, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: only – to barely avoid 15 regular season losses in a down year in the Big Ten. So – I, I, when I look at Iowa's personnel for next season, I would like to say they're really one player away. Show me you can find someone with some quickness to pressure the ball at the point so you can move on hand into the two. I don't need that guy to be a, a, a double-digit scorer. What I need to know is can they pressure the ball at the point and then on the defensive side of the ball? And on the other end, can they just keep the ball moving so that I can, you know, either get the ball down low to Tyler Cook or Pemsel or one of the or, or or Garza, and then, you know, there's more room on the perimeter for a guy like a Bohannon. I'd like to say that's really all they're looking for, but I don't know how much better on offense they're going to be next year with all these guys. I mean, how much better are you than top twenty-five nationally on offense? I mean, how much you can't be much better than that, right? So. Where is the evidence? Where's the, the the change in the coaching staff or philosophy? Where you tell me that, that you're going that you can at least go to 150 nationally in defense as opposed to 250. That that's I'd be really really perplexed right now if I were an Iowa basketball fan.
1: Yeah, let's let's hammer that home a little bit more. We all remember Chris Kingsbury I mean, if I ask Iowa fans who's the greatest Iowa three-point shooter of all time, most of them who were alive in the 90s and watched Iowa basketball in the 90s, they're going to say Chris Kingsbury. Jordan Bohannon attempted has attempted 437 three-pointers in his first two years at Iowa. Kingsbury's first two years of his three total, he attempted 434. So Bohannon has more attempts on threes And Chris Kingsbury. Now, I think Kingsbury had 297 in his sophomore year, which he scored over 540 points, which the last time an Iowa player hit 500 points in their sophomore year was Chris Kingsbury before Tyler Cook just did it more on him in a minute.
0: Kingsbury, by the way, was also playing with a shorter three-point line. Remember that? He was.
1: He was. Jordan Bohannon's the best three-point shooter in Iowa basketball history. Kingsbury's best season was that sophomore season. Where he made thirty nine percent, hundred and seventeen out of like two ninety seven. Bohannon has should not shot. He's his worst percentage in the season is forty one percent. Jordan Bohannon for his career, on four hundred thirty seven attempts, is making forty two percent from three. So you have the best three point shooter in school history on this team. In only the third ever season where an Iowa player made more than 93 threes, Bohannon had 96. That's second only to Kingsbury's 117. Uh, you have the who's if he stays healthy, he'll own the three-point shooting record, the best assist man in school history, and he might score over 1,700 points. Steve, I, I want to I want to tell you, ask you a question. In all of college basketball since 1992. How many players do you think have made, scored 1,700 points, handed out more than 700 assists, and hit 360 or more three-pointers since 1992, the last 25 years?
0: You know, I saw this stat actually the other day, and it's a really small list with some really impressive names. I just can't remember what they were.
1: Let me tell them to you. Z- nobody. Nobody's done it. You you saw a bunch of other things I've tweeted out, and I can see why you'd be confused. Bohannon's on pace to eclipse all those marks. He would be the only player in college basketball since 92 to score 1,700, dish out 700 assists, and hit 360 or more threes. It would be Jordan Bohannon. So this kid is pretty good, okay? So you have him. Tyler Cook scored over 500 points, as I mentioned. The top sophomore seasons since at least like the 1980s. Chris Kingsbury scored the most, 553. Marble had 520, A.C. Earl had 520, Greg Stokes 548, Ronnie Lester 563. So Lester actually had more than Kingsbury. Tyler Cook just joined that group of players. Marble, Earl, Stokes, and Lester all rank like in the top five in all-time scoring at Iowa. Tyler Cook just joined them. Tyler Cook's rebounds this season is one of the top you know, sophomore rebounding seasons. And we don't know what his status is. So let's look at that a little bit more. Right after the game, basically, he was asked several questions about next year because there's been a lot of rumors about him maybe transferring to Missouri, uh, which he came out the day after on last Friday saying that transferring to Missouri was never, in the, was never the plan, which means there's a plan. My guess is his plan was probably to play for two years and go pro. I'm pretty certain. That's what his plan was. And I bet if you asked Fran McCaffrey deep down, that might have been something he would have suspected as well. Now, Tyler Cook, he absolutely should, in my opinion, take the NBA up on their their free evaluation period. Tyler Cook can throw his name into the NBA, not sign an agent. He gets to go through the workout camps, match himself up against you know other players in his class, get feedback from the NBA on where he might go in the draft, and then he can still decide whether or not he comes back. Do you see any downside other than injury of doing that, Steve?
0: No, I've been a proponent of anybody who thinks it's a realistic goal for them to get in there eventually. Uh, You know, Jess Settles is one of the very first players to test this out 20 years ago when they instituted this rule. And I don't know why anybody wouldn't do it. You know, Mo Wagner did it for us last year. I, I don't know why you would not do it. If they're gonna give you an opportunity to not lose your eligibility while getting an actual audition on the court. You go to Portsmouth, you can go to Chicago, go to the camps, go head-to-head with the other prospects, truly find out where you're at. Um, particularly, I think this is even more important in basketball than football because of the, uh, the influence of sketch and um, you know, shady agents from the high school AEU ages before you even get into college with giving you inflated value of maybe where you are of course you should do it
1: right so Mm -hmm. I think he'll do it and I I think he'll be told that he's certainly not a first round lock I don't think that there's any doubt I mean he he has NBA athleticism he actually has a decent mid-range jump shot that he's going to need to show more of but what he didn't show and what he showed was a weakness is defense so His future is a lot like the future for this program. They've got to be better on defense next year to get where they want to get. So I never thought that he was going to transfer to another school. When you're as good as he is, sitting out a year is like it's a waste because you probably think you're done in three years anyway at a maximum. So I actually think he'll be back um, if it's all about not transferring. As he said, he's never intended to transfer to Missouri. If that's all, let's take him at his word. And again, I'm not going to hold him to it. He can do what he wants to do. It's his decision. And I wouldn't be upset one way or the other. So I, I actually think he'll return. Let's look at Luca Garza. Luca Garza just had the third highest point total by an Iowa freshman in school history, more than Roy Marble, more than Aaron White. Um, I don't have numbers one and two here, but he scored 400 even. Marble had 399. Garza averaged what was like 6.7 boards per game, or 6.4 boards per game, 32 blocks per game. He had one of the five or six best freshman season, all-around freshman seasons in Iowa history. And the way that he plays with his effort and the skill set that he has, Steve, Iowa Iowa hasn't had a Tyler Cook in a long time. But Iowa hasn't had a Luka Garza at the five for, since probably A.C. Earl, that type of offensive weapon at a minimum since A.C. Earl in the early 1990s. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin, the flag guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you, Packers and Wizards, Pelicans and Sharks, NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to HeartlandFlags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at HeartlandFlags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at HeartlandFlags.com, where you'll never Pay for shipping
0: you know i looked him up i, I think i sent you an email a couple days ago could luca garza with his game be a robbie hummel kind of player for iowa and hummel was about six nine about 225 i looked it up today his career three-point shooting at purdue was almost 40%. He was just under 40, which is really good, obviously, particularly for a big man. And yeah, on 555
1: I, I he, attempts, too.
0: Yeah, That's I, I think he could absolutely be that kind of player. And if you remember Rod Hummel played with Juwan Johnson, very athletic wing, I don't think as physically gifted as Tyler Cook, but had a more defined offensive skill set than Cook has right now at this point in his career. And even though Purdue at times struggled uh, with both those guys having getting them healthy on the floor simultaneously, they were an exceedingly difficult guard, and I, I think that that could be that kind of a tandem for Iowa. But again, I, I go back to what I opened this up with, and and one thing on Tyler Cook and does he have NBA athleticism? Yeah. And so do about 60 players around the globe <laughs> or, or 75 players around the globe in a 60 person draft every right, year, right? Okay? And so then you have to have to, you have to have a skill set. Now he developed more of a mid-range game for college basketball this year, but in the NBA now, where you know stretch fours and stretch fives, there's, there's eight or nine back to- the basket centers left in the NBA out of 30 teams. Everybody else plays a different game. And so now, uh, you know, a mid-range jump shot in the NBA now is the college three-point line, if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. okay? so he definitely should return uh, unless he just blows. I I think it'd be good for Iowa fans if he went, maybe got a bit of a reality check and realized, here are the two, three, four things I need to put into my game. So when I come back here next year. I get myself definitely someplace into the first round. For sure. And if you go back, I I think a good comparison actually um, is DJ Wilson at Michigan last year. Uh, Mm -hmm. Wilson's a few inches taller. But what Wilson added was the three-point shot in John Beeline's offense. And that's what made him the 17th pick in the draft. Tyler Cook needs to add some of that to his game. Uh, But again, how much better are you going to be? Than top twenty-five nationally in adjusted offense, and keep in mm-hmm. mind it was it was a bad year for the Big Ten. Your in-state rivalry games weren't as tough as they normally are this year. You know, Drake um, actually was the tougher game. Uh, you know, uh, Northern, Northern uh, Iowa State was is, is the last is the twelfth seed in the or the tenth seed in the Big Twelve. So I mean, uh, next year you got to pre- think Iowa State will be better than that with the recruits they have coming in. You th- we think maybe the Big Ten will be a little bit deeper um, than next year. You know, we went through that exercise here a couple weeks ago on the podcast. So let's say next year you are fortunate if you hold on to that. And now we're going to 20 league games. So you're, you're, let's say you, you stay into that top 25 range. Well, that would be excellent, number one, because I think the schedule will be tougher next year. Then tell me where what where the other areas of improvement come from on the other end of the floor. Because if you're already that elite offensively, that Tyler Cook adding a nineteen foot jump shot doesn't make much of a difference, man. You gotta tell me then what where where did the stops come from? Now what I saw these two games in Chicago was or I'm sorry, in, in Square Garden was a totally different level of effort particularly going back and forth. You know, you watch Michigan, the next three games, they beat the next three teams in the Big Ten tournament by an average of 14 points. And they were damn lucky to beat Iowa in that opening round game. So where was that effort? And you can't bring that every single night. You know, Michigan State barely beat Wisconsin the other day, barely beat Wisconsin and Madison. Michigan State had a 13-game winning streak but none of them were quadrant one or quadrant two teams. And a lot of them other than Purdue and a lot of them, they were struggling to beat Northwestern without Brian McIntosh. And they were down 43 to 17 or whatever it was. So when you, you, you have a long season, unless you just have, you know, what a few years ago, what, um, you know, UNLV and the amoeba defense, if you're just that much physically better than other teams, you're going to have downers fine. But, the effort that Iowa played with, particularly against Michigan the other night, I didn't see them play with that effort in a single Big Ten game on, this, on both ends of the floor this entire season. Where was that? And I think that is yeah. going to tell you more about next year's team than whether Tyler Cook adds a jump hook or a three-point shot because they're already one hell of an offensive team already.
1: Yeah. My only point about Tyler Cook needing to have that development is more to do with him being back or not.
0: Oh, I know. Because I, know. I, I, see. I yeah, b- that. Yeah. Because
1: Cook, re- Cook returning gives Iowa a much better chance, in my opinion, than Cook not returning. Um, you know, Isaiah Moss is an interesting topic. He averaged eleven point one points per game this year, but I swear that's twenty two over two games, and and th- and that seems to fit because one night he's going to give you five, and the next night he'll give you seventeen, and that's how he averages eleven. He just has to become more consistent. Um, has to become more consistent, and he's he's not a great defensive player either. I think it's catching. You know, Jack Nungey looked like a freshman at times. Cordell Pemswell took a step back. Nicholas Bear is a nice role player. Nicholas Bear is incredibly. And this will irritate some people. Listen, I like Nicholas Bear. He was a walk on. Great story, but he's not a good offensive player. I would. Uh, he's just not a good offensive player. He can't create his own shot he's not laterally quick he's a great hustle guy he's a great effort guy i'm glad he's on the team you need guys like that but unless he's out there with the right group of players around them he he doesn't give you anything offensively um i know macy daly's an interesting player i i i just i don't know i i don't know and as you say we, we just go back to what we talked about november you know, they're still – they're a perimeter defender away. Um, you know, I don't know if Connor McCaffrey is an answer for you for more point guard minutes. You know, Bohannon, I, I think the guy could probably get 20 points a game if he had the right personnel around him. But like you say, it just keeps coming back and, and circling back to defense for sure. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to to move Jordan off, move him to the two. Um, do you I mean if 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 they could move him over there offensively? Do you think he'd be a twenty point per game guy, or could be?
0: Um, I think yes. Be it well, if you have Cook and Garza, right, then yes is the answer to that right. because what you have what you what you have now is the ability to spread teams out. You you and and that. Is where it becomes a shooting gallery for your guys, and and you can't just, you know, when the ball kicks over on, you know, from the weak side. Now, let's say you do have that person at the point. Ball gets dumped into Tyler Cook. All right, defense collapses. He's to Bohannon. Maybe may, against most teams, he gets that shot off against some of the better teams in the Big Ten, longer, more athletic, that can get out and challenge shooters. Um, maybe he can't. But now he has the second reversal to a guy like Garza. right? And that's where you... Now you're running a system very similar to what John Beeline runs. Now you're punishing teams. Alright? And I think that... So that's lethal. And, and here's where that helps your defense, too. Because it, you know, in a in a way, when I'm advocating, and you have some of the pieces to do it. I mean, Garza is a is a is a is a is a pick and pop kind of a big man that you know John Beeline has used for years at Michigan. Um, the thing that this helps you do is I went back and watched every game Michigan played in the Big Ten tournament last year before this year's tournament started, and I couldn't believe how much better this year's team was, and. You know, last year when I watched the Big Ten tournament games, I could tell within 10 seconds whether Michigan was going to get a basket or not uh, based off of the movement they were getting on offense. And if they didn't get any movement on offense because they were exhausted, then it was Derek Walton with five seconds on the shot clock playing hero ball. And frankly, it worked a lot (laughs) in the Big Ten tournament because he was on a streak. That's just – but you can't play a whole season like that, obviously, unless your point guard's Magic Johnson or something or Kenny Anderson or Chris Jackson or somebody like that, all right? I mean, even I, and even Oklahoma with Trey Young has tried this. And what's happened to their season, when they went through the second go-around of Big 12 teams, What happened? what's happened to Oklahoma since then? They've collapsed because you just can't – you can maybe do it when, when you have a, a, Shabazz, a Sh- when we have a Kemba Walker, Shabazz Napier for three or four weeks in March – And people are only seeing you one time or what Derek Walton did last year in Washington, D.C. But for an entire year when there's familiarity and teams have several days to plan and they already played you once and they know what adjustments to make, homie's not going to play that. That's not going to work. You can't go with that kind of a system. What, What Michigan's been able to do this year is because they can put three guys on the floor in a nine or 10 man rotation. They can, they have three skilled people on the court. They can get their own offense at all times. What it has helped, how it's helped their defense is now we can watch Michigan play. I'm sure a lot of our listeners watch this weekend in the tournament. A lot of times you'll see Michigan essentially take the first 20 seconds of the shot clock off. Why? Because they know they can take a breather after going, after going balls out on the, other, on the defensive end of the floor because with the skill they can put on the offensive end of the floor, one or two ball screens and a reversal, somebody's getting an open look. Or they're getting a favorable matchup off the dribble. If you add that one missing piece to Iowa at, with, with some quickness to distribute the ball at the top of the key with those three players that you and I just talked about, now you have that. And if, if you have a, a player like a Xavier Simpson, who shot out of his mind this week uh, this, th- this week in, 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 uh, in New York City, but was slowly but surely coming along as that distributor, defender, that, that extra player. And then if you get 8, 10, 9, 12 points out of him, that's a bonus. But I mean, he plays hellacious defense, he keeps the ball moving. That is what I was missing. And if you have him, you dump it down to Cook. Defense collapses. He swings at weak side to a Bohannon. If the defense kids can't get out there, he's got an open look. Otherwise, he's got one more pass to make, and that's to Garza, who's going to be open almost every single time. And now you're a really tough guard for 90% of the teams in college basketball. And so some of our listeners may say, but Steve, you already made the point. How much better are you going to be on offense? But if you add that extra element, what it does now is, like I just said with Michigan, is – it gives you a chance to sit there and say, all right, guys, we're essentially going to get a a 15 to 20 second breather here on offense. All right. Because we're going to go balls out on the other end of the court because we know when the shot clock gets down to 10, we just we got a basic set here with the skill we can put on the court. We're going to get a good look at the basket, most possessions. It's just a matter of whether we can put that – we can right. nail that shot or not. And I think that's where you, I was – more offense could eventually help its defense with that missing piece.
1: Well, offense helping the defense would seem uh... – that would, that would seem like a worthy topic because I don't know what else will help the defense. We'll probably talk more about some of that in the course of the next eight months, but uh, probably not for a while. That was that was season that move. Going to the zone was a terrible move. Terrible w-
0: move. When you, you uh, when
1: that
0: when they went to that later in the year, I thought that was a terrible.
1: Move. Well, so if hard. you're if you can't you can't just be a zone team. You can't say okay we'll Agreed. play zone now. You got to work on those principles in the off season and. I've said in, in, in this podcast and Ken Miller's radio show everywhere. I, I mean, it's you need they need to be practicing the zone like right now for next year. Commit to it and be it. Even if you bring in one other piece that can play some perimeter man-to-man, you're still not going to be a good man-to-man defensive team. Although that one piece, that perimeter stopper on the top, it can change the entire complexion of how you play defense and how successful you're right. you can be.
0: You're right. Now, I'm, not, I'm actually a fan of zone defense. I think they're underrated. I think some of the – and we talked about this a couple weeks ago from Judd Heathcote at Michigan State with Magic and Kelcer to the Amoeba defense with UNLV, Syracuse's famous matchup 2-3 with Jim Bayheim There have been some dominant teams in recent college basketball history that have successfully used zone defenses. The reason why I thought this was a terrible move is it is, – and I said this on the podcast too – it reeked of just trying stuff. Sure. Which yep. the players, they, they smell panic. The players players know. Players know when, when the coaches are, are essentially telling them, hey, we just don't think you can do this now, so let's just try something else two-thirds of right. the way through the season. You yep. can't do that.
1: No, you can't. That'll do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.